And here we are, the Insurance and Entry Law Show. A couple different ways to get a hold of us, or uh, Savannah anyway, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And always the, four, uh, the phone number, 416-216-5910. We'll get to a bunch of your emails and questions about uh, everything under this umbrella. First of all, we always start, uh, Savannah, with the week that was, right? Absolutely. And this week was extremely busy again, John. Uh, obviously, the weather uh, is still plaguing us. We're still uh, seeing a lot of slip and falls and car accidents. And, uh, you know, w- w- one of the cases that came to me this week, an individual gave me a call. Uh, he, he, he's a 42-year-old gentleman who has uh, two daughters, uh, and, and he slipped and fell in a parking lot. And he did exactly what I usually say that people should do. Uh, he took photographs of the area, and you can see that the area is not maintained. It's, it's got a ton of ice, a ton of snow. And, you know, unfortunately for him, he broke his ankle uh, in, in several different places. Uh, he had to go to the hospital. Uh, he had screws and plates put in. And here's the problem. Uh, he works at at least four different jobs, and some some of wow. them are actual physical jobs. And the problem is he's going to be off work for a while. Now, you know, with ankle fractures, a lot of times we see that there are complications down the road. So right now we had surgical intervention, but down the road he may develop arthritis, osteoarthritis, and he, he's going to need modifications to his home potentially. Uh, he's going to have a lot of issues. And so when I spoke with him and then I arranged to meet with him and I did meet with him, I, I found out more information, and I, I got to tell you, I feel really bad for him, but it's a good thing that he got me on board to help him now because now we're going to be in contact with the people who own, with the company who owns that premises. We're going to make sure we find out who was responsible for actually maintaining that area, right. who did not do their job. And I'll tell you, they're going to be insured. All of these people, all these companies that own these properties, they're always insured. It's the insurance companies we deal with. We're going to be able to establish exactly what happened, make sure that we get the compensation he deserves. It may take a little bit of time because of the complexity of the injury, but we're going to make sure that he gets the full gamut of compensation. And that, of course, includes the pain and suffering that he's going through, uh, the income loss he could potentially have in the future, and in fact is having right now for not being able to work. Exactly. Uh, You know, modifications to his home. He's going to be installing railings uh, just outside his home. But for that, believe it or not, he has to change the steps that he has. So he actually asked me about that, and I told him what he needs to do. So again, very, very important when, when you suffer an injury, especially an injury as serious as that, is to get legal advice as soon as possible. If you don't do that, you risk making a bad move. I mean, someone else could have easily have uh, notified the property owner, had the insurance company that insures that property, the adjuster come to the person's home, get a statement, and through that statement potentially get you to say something that would hurt your case in the future. We talked about that before. So again, very, very important that he called me very, very soon after the injury happened, and we're going to take care of the entire case, and he's going to get fully compensated. Especially now, if he would have waited two months when it's sunny and warm, there's no ice, there's no salt, there's no snow left. Well, absolutely. Pictures are no good. First of all, pictures are not good. So so it it really becomes, you know, he said, she said. Mm -hmm. And as as you know, with with slip and falls on municipal sidewalks, for example, uh, you know, city sidewalks, you have to notify the city within 10 10 days. Days. Right. Yep. And you have to do it for the exact reason that you just identified, which is that the city has to be able to go and investigate. Uh, in fact, one of the other people that called me this week is exactly someone like that who okay. fell on a city sidewalk. And, uh, you know, she, uh, coincidentally, she also broke her ankle, also had surgery on that wow. ankle. And, and, but, but, you know, that happened about two and a half weeks ago. Now, she had called the city about two days after because she was in hospital. So as immediately when she called us that same day, we sent a letter to the city clerk advising them, putting them on notice, then this happened. And I'm going to be seeing her next week, and, and we're going to sort everything out. I'll explain everything to her. 416-216-5910. 416-216-5910. 
416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of Savannah. You have Matt Fish, a colleague from your office, is going to be on the show in just a bit talking about uh, some mitigation. And we always get questions through email and the phones as well about the claims process. So I want to get into a bit of that here uh, as we get into our, at least get halfway through our first segment. And I'll start with this one. What does someone need to do to know if they may be entitled to compensation? Well, the easiest thing to do is to give me a call. Give me a call. Give, give my office a call. It, it costs nothing to talk. I mean, at the very least, we're going to ask you a few questions. Within a few minutes, we will be able to give you an idea as to whether or not you are entitled to compensation. And it really depends on the fact scenario of each case. Look, a lot of times people call me up when they have uh, a car accident and, you know, they don't know if, in fact, they deserve compensation because, you know, the injury may seem like it's not right. significant, uh, you know, but, but there are other factors at play or perhaps, you know, they were told that they were partly at fault for the accident, so they don't know if that means that they can't get compensation. Right. It's really easy. Just give us a call or email us. I mean, we'll, we'll tell you exactly what it is that you can and cannot do. And there are nuances in the law, so it is important that you have someone who specializes in this area, in personal injury and insurance, to be able to properly assess the claim, both from a liability or fault standpoint, to right. figure out who's at fault legally, as well as from a compensation standpoint, to figure out what exactly you can get. Is it even worthwhile? I mean, I've had many cases, right. John, where people have come to me and, and I've said, listen, it's worthwhile for you to pursue this claim, but you don't need us for that. You can go to small claims, for example. Or alternatively, I've had people who went to small claims only to find out that their injuries are not going away after three years and it's affecting the way they work. Right. And, you know, we had to then take over the claim and get it out of small claims because it's worth way more than $25,000. So very, very simple thing to do. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. We'll explain everything. I'm going to flip the question your side after we uh, take a short break. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah anytime. You want to email during the show, you can do it so as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show coming up. Talk radio, AM640. And back into it we go, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. You want to get a hold of Savannah, it's right on his hip 24-7 while he sleeps once in a while. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Before the break, I mentioned uh, what someone needs to know to know if they have a claim to start with. So they get the phone call, you talk to them briefly, doesn't cost anything. Now, on your side, how do you decide if your team can help them? Well, I, I, I take a look at two factors, and those are the ones we spoke about before. One is liability, mm -hmm. or in, in layman's uh, uh, terms, is it, it's fault. You know, who's at fault for the, uh, for the injury, for the accident? And number two is, what are the damages? What are the injuries? What flows from those injuries? And I look at both of them, and sometimes I look at the injuries uh, uh, first. But, you know, when we're looking at a case, we're looking to see if it makes sense to actually put the person through that process. And I'm not saying that it's a difficult process, because a lot of times I can actually deal directly with the adjuster for the insurance company and resolve the claim without my client even seeing anyone. Uh, and again, keep in mind, I'm never resolving a claim without my client giving me the okay. So for we're sure. always making sure that they're involved. But, you know, when I'm looking at who's at fault, I'm gauging a variety of factors. So in a car accident context, it depends. Are we looking at a rear-end collision, which, of course, is a no-brainer? Of course, the one who hit you from behind is at fault. Uh, you know, are, are, are we looking at a situation where, you know, you went through a yellow light and then the other person made a left-hand turn? Well, how do we determine fault in that context? Right, right. And, and, you know, if you remember, John, a few shows back, we talked about how there are fault determination rules. So if our listeners go on Google and type in uh, fault determination rules, you'll come upon a legislation. This is, this is the, the, uh, the, the, the piece of, of law uh, that insurance companies look at to assess from their standpoint, who's at fault? Well, that does not necessarily determine fault in the civil context, in the context of a claim for a personal injury oh, action. Okay. 
so mm-hmm. we're looking at fault, and of course, same, same thing goes for, for slip and falls, for trip and falls. So, for example, for trip and falls, you're walking on the sidewalk and you're tripping because the ledges of the sidewalk are, are uneven. There's, it, a, there's an allowable level, is there not? There is an allowable, yeah. exactly. Now, the okay. case law or the courts have told us that anything over, let's say, uh, let's say an inch and a half worth of a differential between right. you know, two slabs of concrete would likely constitute negligence on the city. It, it's not a for sure thing, but it means that the city should have rectified the situation, whereas anything less than three quarters of an inch would probably not constitute negligence. Yeah, pick up your feet. Exactly. But, but, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the in-between really depends. It, it depends if it's between three quarters to an inch and a half. It depends on how, how frequently is the area trafficked. You know, are there a lot of kids in the area? It, it depends on many factors. So, so we're always looking to assess whether or not we can establish that someone is responsible for your injury because sometimes, as you know, no one is responsible. You got it. You know, I mean, you can be tripping over your own feet. The second uh, factor, the second element is damages. So what are the injuries? And some lawyers, some personal injury lawyers, especially defense lawyers, and and I was guilty of that when I did exclusively defense work, uh, you know, they'll attribute a certain quantum, a certain amount in their mind to what the injury is worth based on the injury itself. So they'll say to themselves, you know what, uh, the person is just depressed. You know, that, that's not worth as much as a broken ankle or, 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 you know, a torn shoulder or even a brain injury. But what if you have someone with such severe depression that they can't get out of bed? And what if every psychiatrist that they've seen validates that? And I have a case right now that's ongoing, John, where I have that situation and the defense's own psychiatrist has confirmed what my client's own treating psychiatrist have wow. said, which is that she has serious, serious impairments because of the accident. What do you do with that kind of a case? Well, that kind of case is, is you know, potentially worth a lot in terms of damages. Very, very important to assess these kinds of claims correctly and appropriately. And, and, and so you know, when we're looking at a case, when someone comes to us, we're looking at who's at fault, how we gauge that, what are the degrees of fault, and we're looking at the damages, the injuries, and, and again, what flows from those injuries. You know, it's that five-letter word that a lot of people are scared of. With they don't even want to begin a claim, and that is court. So, does every case usually end up in court? No, in fact, right. that's a, that's a common misconception, and I think that it's out there because of the uh, TV shows that we all enjoy watching. Uh, it, it, you know, the reality is this: if if you're doing criminal law, yes, you're going to be in court a lot as a lawyer, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're doing civil law, you're almost never going to be in court. How about that? Eh? A- and well. the reason is very simple, because it's too expensive for the parties, for, especially for insurance companies. They don't want to spend money on their lawyers going to a trial. The, the other reason why these things almost never reach court is because there are so many opportunities along the way, along the claims process, to resolve the claim. Right. When we start a claim, there's a defense lawyer assigned to the other side, Many times a defense lawyer will pick up the phone or write a letter and say, you know, what is this claim about? At some point in the claims process, they'll say, well, you know, give us a settlement offer. They'll yeah. actually ask us nip in the bud, to get, right? yeah, nip in the, exactly, because mm-hmm. their clients, the insurance companies recognize that it makes sense to perhaps pay a little bit more now rather than pay their lawyers to go through the process only for them to be, you know, to have to pay that same amount down the road, plus their, the, the legal fees for their lawyers. So, so no, uh, going to court is very rare. And uh, most of these claims, I would say over 95% of them resolve way, way before you ever, you know, uh, walk 
towards the court, right. let alone right. be inside the courthouse. Got about a minute left here, so I'll throw it. You mentioned it. Uh, upfront fees are are the ready. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and uh, it, it actually amazes me sometimes when I see uh, when I hear people coming to me or calling me, especially after the show, and they tell me that they've spoken with this lawyer and that lawyer, and, and they're asked to actually provide a retainer upfront. The reality is that in in personal injury claims. Uh, there are no upfront fees or there shouldn't be upfront fees. There are only a very small uh, section of personal injury claims where we ask for something upfront, but those are professional negligence, like a medical negligence claim where we have to hire another doctor to give us an opinion. But, you know, in car accident claims, slip and fall claims, trip trip and fall claims, motorcycle claims, all these kinds of claims, there should not be any upfront fees. The lawyers, the law firm should be paying for the disbursements, the expenses for the claim, uh, and you should not be paying anything. Uh, at most, you should be uh, paying a percentage of whatever it is that the final settlement is, gotcha. but you should not be paying anything up front. We'll take a short break, and we'll get to your colleague Matt Fish here after the uh, the next break. In the meantime, 416-216-5910 is the number you'll want to call to get a hold of Savan anytime. His email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. And back into the insurance and injury law show, the number to get a hold of Savan is 416-216-5910. His email is help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. So, um, you know, someone's got a claim. They've been in an accident. Maybe a slip and fall. Uh, what happens when someone meets with you? Take us through the process. Well, when somebody actually meets with us, uh, it's, it's, it's a very... Um it's not a painful process at all. In fact, if anything, most of the time you sense uh, that they are relieved at the end of it because they now have information. They're, they're, they're no longer in the dark. You know, everything they've read on the Internet is clarified and misconceptions are, are dispelled. Uh, so basically we meet with them, we explain the process, and then we tell them, look, these are your options. Here's what we recommend. Here's what's going to happen if you do if you choose this option or this option or that option, and and they choose and, and you know we don't push. That's the one thing that's really important for people to understand. We do not push. You're not going to get something in front of you that and and for us you know telling you sign on the dotted line now or or else this is what's going to happen. No. Now if there are time limitations, right? Because we 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 have to be cognizant of time limitations. If you have a car accident, for example, you have two years to start a claim. Yep. If you're coming to me, you know, a day before the expiration of the limitation period, I'm going to tell you that. Likely chance is that I'm probably not going to take on that claim because it's just too risky, to be honest with you. So, so I'm hoping that, you know, you will obviously contact us well before that. But we never, never, ever push someone to start a claim. But as soon as you have your options and you do want to start that claim, very simple process. Uh, we, we literally start the claim. I, I've received all the information I needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we update you along the way. Uh, my assistant or someone in my office contacts you to get some of the relevant information that we need, who your doctors are, which hospitals you visited, uh, pharmacies you went to, things like that, so we can prepare authorizations for you to sign so we can get the information we need. And then along the way, as the, as the process progresses, you're kept updated. And, and you know, clients email me all the time, uh, every day, they get a response back literally within seconds, if not, uh, you know, minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly painless process to the extent that we are taking care of, of everything that needs to be done, and we're updating you along the way. And if you have any questions, just, you just ask us. You know, it's funny. It sounds so, it is so simple for someone on, you know, on my side coming to you, but you think about people trying to handle this stuff on their own, just from what you said, getting a hold of the hospitals you've visited, the doctors you've seen, all these other, right. uh, these, I mean, why would you even bother? Why well, you would know, somebody even bother? You know, John, it's, it's interesting you say that because... Or risk I, it anyway, right? I, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I've actually come across a few people who... Uh, have contacted me uh, through the show and and also uh, through friends. And they've come to me because they are with lawyers 
who are supposedly representing them, and those lawyers are asking them to actually get all those records and pay for all those records. You're not supposed to do that. No, I'm not saying. Really? Yeah, it's not that it's illegal. Of course, you know, a lawyer can can run his office or her office whichever way they want, but that's not standard practice. You should be focusing on getting better. That's your job. My job is to take care of everything else. That's why there is a team in place here. Right. You know, that, that's that's the way it should be working. It's that simple. I mean, imagine if if uh, you know you're you're buying a, a new house and the builder you know instructs you on what it is that you need to buy. You know, in in, in 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 terms of the <laughs> go get your drywall. Yeah, get your drywall. Get get, you. get a hammer. Get nails. I mean, come on, that's not the way we do it. Yeah, right. Four one six two one six fifty nine ten and uh, help with the insurance lawyer Now you got to Matt Fisher. He's one of your colleagues, one of your lawyers in the office. Right, yeah? right. And okay. uh, you know, Matt's been with us for a while, and he knows the stuff inside out. And he also actually used to be a defense lawyer. Uh, and you know, one one of the issues he often deals with when he deals with me and and the clients that come to us is the issue of mitigation, which is okay. uh, I'm actually going to get Matt to to speak about that and explain what that is. Uh, so go ahead, Matt. Sure, what yeah, is it, Matt? Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. So mitigation really, when we're talking about mitigation, we're talking about mitigation of damages. Um, and uh, the mitigation aspect is the reduction of your damages. So the plaintiff has an obligation to, to do their best to get better for the most part. And that might be either uh, you know, improve on their injury symptoms or look for another job if they've lost, lost their job. Um, we have one uh, case in our office actually where the, um, the individual has uh, been suffering from a lot of psychological issues. Okay. And, um, and as a result, she has sought a number of different treating professionals. So that's something that she's done that she can show uh, the, uh, the defense counsel that, uh, that she's really looking to, to better her situation. So this is, this is all in, in hopes that you will continue any sort of coverage or any sort of benefits you're receiving. Right? Look, I'm trying to do what I can do here, but I'm still injured. I can't go back to work. Or I still need the money that I'm getting. Yeah? Exactly, exactly. And, and, and really, I mean, p- part of these claims, when we're, when, when we're making a claim for compensation, as, as you recall, John, we're making a claim for the pain and suffering. We're making a claim for income loss. But one of the other things we're making a claim for is for future treatments you may need. Right. Well, you can't say that you need future treatments if for the last year or two years you haven't sought any treatments. All of a sudden now you need it. Exactly. Hello? Exactly. Right. You, you, got, you have to show that you are trying to get better. Right. But this doesn't just apply to the uh, treatments. It applies to what, exactly what Matt said, which is income. If you have someone who was injured in an accident, let's say a car accident, and for the last two years, unless that person is paralyzed, if that person says, I never once tried to get back to work, I never once tried or or attempted uh, to to go back to even modified work, Mm -hmm. how does that look? That's what's meant by mitigation. Mitigation means trying to lessen your damages. In other words, showing that you're trying to get better. That's absolutely crucial because it gives you credibility. So if you're trying to get back to work and you can't and that's documented, the other side will not be able to say, aha, you know, you're, you're, you're faking or, or you know, you, you haven't even tried to, to get better. It, it, it just it takes the wind out of their sails when it comes to making that argument. So Matt, give me, uh, Matt, give me more details on ways to mitigate like employment and medical, especially employment, really. Sure. Yeah. So a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the mitigation efforts you can do for employment would be, I mean, if you got fired or uh, as a result of your injuries, or if you had to leave your position mm-hmm. as a result of your injuries, uh, you might look for another job. You might look for a different job as well, which didn't require the physical aspects that um, you know that, that you might have lost as a result of the accident. Uh, you could retrain. You might uh, you might look into going back to school. I mean. You're not required to to get the same job that you were. That's not it. They just want to. We just want to be able to show that you're making some efforts to to make the best of uh, your situation, uh, and as, that's exactly as Savannah said. It builds your credibility. 
Um, and for your physical injuries, I mean, maybe you're going to physiotherapy. Maybe you're seeking uh, treatments in other ways. If if you, if, if uh, your doctor's recommended a surgery, maybe you do the surgery. Right. So those are the types of things that you can do to really mitigate. Just before I break, let me ask you this. And Matt just mentioned, you know, looking for another job, possibly not the same type of job. Isn't that something, and maybe Lior would, would, would answer this question, isn't your employer going to tell you to do that anyway, or you should be doing that? To be looking for another job? Yeah, something that, you know, um, there's a, what's the term for it in the, in the employment world where you go back to your job, but it's modified duties, say. Right, right, it's modified duties, exactly. You, you have to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, you should definitely try. And, and you know, what what we usually tell people is that uh, it should be documented. So, you know, you, right. you can apply to your, to your employer. You can send an email to HR saying, I'd like to try and come back, perhaps on modified duties. So if you weren't full-time, perhaps you can do two hours a day. Uh, and, I mean, keep in mind, the employer may come back and say, we don't have modified duties. That's fine. There is an employment element there that we can deal with right. uh, on, on a side note. But it's very important that you sent that email and you got that response because now when your employment file uh, is produced to the insurance company, they see that you took an active step in trying to mitigate your damage. Always keep to, record. Always keep yeah. records. Extremely, yeah, anything that's said by phone it's a he said, she said. Gotcha. I mean, who knows if you actually did that? And Matt was touching on something else. He said, you know, try and get another job. If your job is not available to you, that's fine. Keep records. If you're sending applications, uh, I don't know, to Tim Hortons or to keep the Bay or keep everything yeah. with you. If you've interviewed at certain locations, make a log. Make sure you have that. Brilliant. That can be produced. That's evidence. Let's take a short break. The number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get you an email when we return for this short break on the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. And back out of the numbers, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for an email, which I will get to, Savan, so I'll be prepared to, uh, to answer this. I'm a little lengthy, but I'll get through it. Uh, George from Toronto says, my wife was hurt almost two years ago when she was crossing the street on a green light and a car making a left-hand turn hit her. Uh, hasn't been the same since and is still very afraid to go out in public. She's uh, seeing a psychiatrist who says that she's very depressed and needs to continue treatments. Physically, she's okay, but she's just not the same person now. She worked as a uh, cashier before the accident and hasn't been able to go back to work since. What can we do? Two years. Okay, well, that's... Uh, so, so, George, I can tell you right now, we just touched on this as well. Uh, I need to know exactly when this happened because you may be coming up to a limitation period uh, two years ago, if it's if it's if right. it's you know if it's a day over, it doesn't mean you don't have a claim, but it means it's that much harder to actually get get beyond the limitation period. So definitely give us a call, uh, and and you know we'll connect. Now, in terms of the uh, the injury, uh, Matt spoke about that before. You know we're dealing with a psychological injury here, and and we're used to those. Unfortunately, the insurance industry and many defense lawyers, you know, they, they view psychological injuries or impairments as being quote-unquote, less or less important than physical injuries. Because, you know, with physical injuries, most of the time, especially if it's a broken bone, you can see it on an x-ray. Yep. How, how do you gauge a psychological injury? So I, I believe you. If you're telling me that, uh, you know, she has these issues, she can't go out in public, she's seeing a psychiatrist who's diagnosing her, presumably here, with severe depression, and she's continuing the treatments, it's, it's a significant claim. I mean, there's, you know, no, no, no ifs and buts about it. I mean, she has to get the proper treatments. Now, what's concerning to me as well here is that um, this happened two years ago. You're calling me now. I, I'm not sure if you already have a lawyer or not. Uh, and the reason I say that is, is because uh, it, it's very important to make sure that you maximize the benefits you're entitled to from your own insurance company in a car accident situation. Many times, uh, unless there is a, 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 a torn ligament uh, or, or there is a fracture, you're going to be entitled to only a, 
a very small amount uh, for medical rehabilitation benefits, right? You're going to be placed under the MIG, the Minor Injury Guidelines. Yep. So you're going to be entitled to $3,500 for treatments, which is re- virtually nothing nowadays. Uh, so, so very, very important in a case like your wife's, and, and I hope this was done, uh, that she was placed outside of the MIG and that she's entitled to a lot more than that. The 50000 that would be available to her if she's wow. outside the MIG. Uh, and again, the income loss situation here, very important. I really hope that she was receiving income replacement benefits. And I, I have no idea what the status is. Mm-hmm. If she was cut off, hopefully that was mediated or disputed because if she still can't work, she should continue to receive income replacement benefits. So again, a lot of issues here, George, and I really hope that we connect after the show because this is one of those uh, cases where I'm looking at, at this long term and, and you know we, you really want to make sure that, that the compensation that is being looked at and, and the way the case progresses uh, really encompasses everything that she's entitled to. George, that number, 416-216-5910, and for you as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let me get to, uh, to one more email before we move on to some pre-existing medical conditions because we get phone calls and emails about that all the time as well. Mary uh, from Richmond Hill writes in, Savannah says, I had a, or have a car accident case. That has been going on for almost six months, and I still haven't received anything from my insurer. I was working as a bookkeeper for the last four years, but haven't been able to go back to work after the accident because of pain in my back and my neck. Very common. I've tried uh, calling my lawyer, and he keeps saying that we're working on it, we're working on it, but when I ask what they're doing, he doesn't give me any specifics. He uh, also told me that they're waiting for a year. Here we go. We've heard this before. Waiting for a year before they start a claim against the driver that hit me. I don't know what to do. Okay, well, I'll jump in and ask that one or, uh, or answer that question. I mean, it's to a certain extent, Mary, you have to be patient with the legal proceeding. It can be very long. However, though, however, uh, you, you do have to have an open line of communication with your representation. If you don't know what's going on and, and they're not uh, contacting you with uh, any of the details of the claim, that's not really going to be very settling for you. So I really understand your issue there. Um, and, and another issue is a lot of the times lawyers will wait about a year just to see how the injuries develop, uh, just to make sure that this is a claim that is worthwhile for mm-hmm. you to bring um, and that it's, you know, it's something that, uh, that you could uh, collect damages on. So, I mean, I, Savannah, I don't know what you think about this one particularly, but I would say in this case, you want to reach out to your lawyer um, and say, hey, you know, I'm not, you're, you're not uh, contacting me as I'd expected to. Rattle his uh, cage a bit, right? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, and then, you know, suggest that if you, if you are unable to, to do what I want, I might have to look elsewhere. Well, what, are you, exactly. what are you going to get over that year? That if, okay, if Matt's saying it's right. okay to wait and see how the injury, what, what happens within that year? Right. Well, well first of all, that one year or, or that, that rule of the, not the rule, but this practice of waiting for right. a year, uh, it, the problem is, and we talked about that before, is that it's unreasonable when, when it's applied arbitrarily. If you're seeing that right. someone is not working, if you're yeah. seeing that something is, is, you know, the person is not getting any better, I would never wait that one year. If I'm seeing that the injury you know, we have indications that it looks like the person is going to be getting better or is getting better within a few months. It makes sense. I mean, it's not that it's yeah. one year or eight months or 12 months or 14 months. It, it's You have to give it enough time to see where the claim is going. But if I'm seeing someone who hasn't been able to go back to work after six months, I would probably think about starting a claim sooner rather than later. And the reason is this, because if the person is not getting better or has plateaued during that time, chances are they're not going to get that much better in another six months. And so now you've delayed the claim another six months. Uh, And Matt's completely right, 100%, uh, in terms of rattling the cage. Uh, If you're reaching out to your lawyer and they're not responding to you, there is a problem. And the reason there is a problem is because if they're not responding to you, how do you know that they're not responding to the insurance company? 
that they're not responding right. to the insurance company of the person who struck you, who hit you. You know, that's always my concern, that if the, lawyer, if the lawyer is not communicating with you, they're not communicating with the other side as well. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what's happening. I'm just saying that that's a concern. You know, some of the best lawyers I know, they respond within seconds, minutes, at worst, hours mm-hmm. uh, after they're being contacted. Certainly when I hear of cases where, where people haven't been contacted or, or responded to, you know, days and weeks after messages are being or longer, left and, right? or longer, mm-hmm. or, or even the assistant of the lawyer not contacting the, the person and saying, listen, you know, uh, the, the lawyer got your message, they'll respond to you as soon as they're back in the office. Not getting even that common courtesy, that's a concern. Unfortunately, it's very prevalent in our profession. In our office, we're very big on that. Uh, very, very important. And, and, you know, frankly, that's just a sign of respect, let alone professional courtesy. Well, you mentioned this before, too, because once you get start getting a year or two years in, you haven't heard from your lawyer. Now it's a catch-22. Now you're stuck with them because if you leave, you're going to get a big, fat lawyer's bill. But if you stay, you're not getting anywhere. You got it. You should have pulled the plug a long time ago. You're completely, right? you, you know what, you're completely right. And, and not only that, people have um, the tendency, I think, to just bury their head in the sand. Uh, and so since we started the show, John, I've actually received a lot of phone calls from people who said, you know, that's exactly what's happening to me. <laughs> uh, I'm not being able to get a, a hold of my lawyer. Uh, you know, we've had this happen on the case. We've had this happen. And, and I keep asking them, well, what's going on? Ha- you know, have you seen any experts? Have you gone to any doctors that the lawyer sends you to? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you done this? Have you done that? And they're saying, well, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, no explanation whatsoever. They're not told what the process is. They're not told what needs to be done and when, and they can't get a hold of the lawyer. The problem is that they saw those signs early on, but never did anything because they thought that they were helpless. You're not helpless. If your lawyer is not responding to you, there is a problem, especially if it's a chronic issue. It's a a concern. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your choice what you want to do with your situation, but my concern is that if the lawyers aren't responding to you, they're not responding to the other side exactly. as well. We'll take a short break, guys. The number 416-216-5910. We'll get into pre-existing medical conditions. This is a huge part of the show, so stick around for it. Uh, in the interim, you want to send us an email, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and we'll grab it. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. And back at it we go, the number 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Guys, I want to get into this. I'll start with uh, Yusuf Ann talking about pre-existing medical conditions. Now, insurance companies make a huge deal about pre-existing medical conditions. If someone has a pre-existing medical issue, does that affect their claim? Because, you know, I get a bad back. I get in a bad, you know, car accident, and it makes it worse. I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going to get nothing because I already got a bad back. They're going to say, you're already injured. It's nothing. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what they say. And you know what? I love this issue and I love it for a very simple (laughs) reason because this is where the law for me gets to be fun. Uh, Not that, you know, people's injuries are fun, but it's fun because it's interesting how insurance companies, uh, they'll seize on everything, absolutely everything they can to either deny or lessen the claim. It's a business, right? It's a business, exactly. And, you know, listen, sometimes they are are correct with pre-existing conditions, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you have a pre-existing condition like a bad back, uh, like a bad knee, uh, headaches, anything like that, but then you have an accident and then your injury is exacerbated or your injury is now uh, that much worse or, or you've suffered an injury uh, that affects you in a way that had you not had a pre-existing condition, you would not have been affected this way, right. you are entitled for compensation. So I've, I've had situations, I mean, one of the first cases I ever had when I, uh, when I switched over from representing insurance companies uh, was a gentleman who had a slip and fall and he, was, he had a bad right knee, and he was scheduled to have uh, a, a knee replacement. He wasn't scheduled, but his orthopod spoke with him about a knee replacement, but he told him, listen, you're looking at, let's say, 10 years down the road. Well, as a result of the slip and fall, 
that was accelerated and he actually had it within a few months of the accident. So then the question was, well, wait a second, he was already going to have a knee replacement. The fact that it was accelerated, so what? The insurance company said. Okay. And I said, well, I'll tell you, so what? Now he's going to have to have more than one knee replacement because usually when you have a knee replacement, you have to have revision sur- surgery mm-hmm. down the road. And in fact, every so every you know so many years, you have to do a new re- one. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so what we did is we, we, we the argument was that had he not had the slip and fall, he would not have had to deal with the situation until 10 years from now. Well, guess what, John? That was a case that we settled for six figures. Wow. Even though this guy actually had to have that knee replacement anyways, but the damages he was entitled to was that for, for the fact that this was accelerated mm-hmm. and for the fact that now we had issues getting into his boat and his cottage and you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So pre-existing issues are something the insurance companies will seize on, but oftentimes, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just that. It's not that, you know, you had that issue before and now you have the same issue. No, it's that you had that issue before and because of that, you were vulnerable to the injury you now sustained and now your situation is worse than what it was before. So it's a comparison of the before and after. So your firm actually, not that they like people to have a pre-existing condition, but you're all over it. If they do, you're all over it. It's we're all over it. Listen, we're, we're, we're over it to the extent that if the insurance company tries that, they're not going to get very far. Gotcha. That's simple. 416-216-5910, help at the insurance lawyer.ca. We're talking about uh, pre-existing medical conditions. Matt, what happens if someone suffers from um, arthritis, joint pains, you know, et cetera, and gets injured? Well, I mean, this, like almost any other pre-existing condition, really depends on the level of severity of the no. condition that they had. So if they had arthritis or if they have back pain, we really have to look into exactly what their symptoms were before the accident took place. And just as Savan mentioned, it's an exacerbation issue. So if, if they had arthritis, but they were functioning really, really well, or, um, you know, and they were able to go to work, uh, they were doing all their housekeeping, they were taking care of their kids, but as a result, the, you know, the pain that they sustained in their arthritis has greatly increased then it's going to affect them very little because their life was, you know, they were, they were functioning very well before the accident and now their life's been turned upside down. So in that, in that case, it really does depend on, on the impact that it had on their life prior to. Would you go back to the doctors that treated them before the accident, say years, years past with their, with their uh, arthritis or joint pain? Would you go back for, for medical history on that? Absolutely. And you're also going to want to get uh, lay witnesses to comment on how their life was prior to the accident as well, because those are the people that can really comment on it. Uh, the people that knew them before the mm-hmm. accident, how it affected them. And, and then, uh, you know, you'll, you'll still be treated by the same uh, arthritis specialist typically after who will either say, you know, the accident didn't cause anything or it did. Same thing. I mentioned this earlier with back problems because they're, 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 everybody's got one, right? Everybody's got a back problem. It's such a common thing to happen when you get in a car accident, either whiplash or back. Same thing happened there as well. Exactly. I mean, we all have back pain every now and then. Right. Mm-hmm. So so, you know, if you're sitting too long for a day and you go to the doctor and you complain of back pain, sure, you've had it, but it didn't affect you. And it's really the effect that's so important to, to these claims. And if you had a, a, a pre-existing condition of some kind, I've been carrying Savan for about a year. It's killing me. <laughs> at, I mean, least. Right back, <laughs> at least. Right. Can I make a claim on that one? How about um, and this is uh, something, Savan, you've talked about. I know you've had lots of uh, lots of clients in this regard as far as knee or shoulder pain. They don't mention it to their doctor for several weeks and months, and then it gets bad. Right. Right? So what happens then? Well, in those situations, again, we're looking at what the records show before the accident and after. Right. So if we're looking at a situation where, uh, you know, you had, a let's say, a slip and fall and you twisted your knee, 
if you're going to your family doctor, which you should, obviously, if you're in pain, or to a walk-in clinic or to the hospital, you really have to make sure that you uh, uh, tell them exactly what is bothering you. Because if you wait for, for weeks and months before you, you talk about a particular injury, mm-hmm. when the insurance company ends up getting those records and they see that you know, your accident happened on March 1st, but it's not until you know, April 15th that you complained about your knee, they're going to say, what happened during this month and a half? They're going to be suspicious. They're going to say, perhaps, you know, you had some other injury that caused this. And this gets even more complicated if you don't mention an injury for several months. So imagine a situation where you have someone who had back pain, let's use that example, okay. uh, years before, uh, and wasn't complaining about the back pain for a year before the accident, and then the accident happened, and the person wasn't complaining about back pain for another, let's say, two months after the accident. And then, then of course, it gets worse and worse and worse, and the person complains about it. It makes things more complicated. You know, I always say this is is not so much law as much as common sense. If you are the judge, if you are looking at your own records, are you going to believe you? Are you going to believe someone who says that because of this accident, this is what happened to me, this is what's bothering me, and yes, I had issues from before, but the accident caused this and that. So always make sure that when you have an injury and you seek medical attention, that you really are mentioning everything that is bothering you. I want to ask you one more question with pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, we'll take a break first. So 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and we'll continue with the show. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. And back into it, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. We'll take this uh, one last segment, get to a couple emails first. So uh, 416-216-5910 is the number. That's Savant's personal number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Just before the uh, break, guys, we were talking about pre-existing medical conditions. So I'll throw a curveball at you. Uh, what if you were injured a while back, you were off work, it was just about to come back to work, and you got injured again? It looks uh, bad, but what do you do, right? Right. So what do you do? How do you, how do you prove that you were about to come back to work? Right. Because, of course, you know, the defense is going to say that, well, listen, you had a previous injury and you were off work because of that injury. And there is no proof that you were going to come back just before our accident. Right. And that's the key word, proof. I mean, when we're looking at the employment file, when we're looking at, at the doctor's notes, do we see notations that say that you're ready to go back to work? Do we see uh, anything in the employment file from HR or from the manager or the employer in general saying that, you know, we're preparing to have you come back on this and this day? If you're in a situation where you had an injury or, or an illness and you were off work, you were just about to come back and it's recorded that you were just about to come back and there is like a set date, for example, or a set month and then you have an accident, then you can't come back, as long as we can prove that you are going to come back, you can get compensation for the fact that you're not able to now come back to work. But again, it comes down to proof. So it's not so much about what we say as much as what we prove. And, you know, believe it or not, many lawyers don't even get that. You know, when I did just defense work, I remember getting a lot of these kinds of cases and the lawyers representing individual who are, individuals who were injured, you know, were, were, were saying, oh, my, my, my guy or, or, you know, the lady I was representing uh, was supposed to come back. And I said, well, show me the proof. Show me the email from, from the manager that, you know, they had a set date for them to come back. Very, very important to do these things right. If you are about to come back, you were injured, you're not able to go back to work now, you are entitled to compensation for that lost income. It all speaks to keeping records for everything. Again, very important. Yeah. Get to an email. This is Lee from Ajax. Right? Says I'm 53 years old and had a right knee replacement two years ago. There we go. We're just talking about that. I've been doing pretty good until this past January when I slipped on ice and twisted my knee. I can't put any weight on it, and I'm off work. I'm a technical designer, so I sit at a desk all day. Can I get any compensation? And the surgeon says that I may have a torn meniscus. 
Well, I'd say in this case that you, you'd, you'd definitely be able to show that you suffered damages as a result of the slip right. and fall. Uh, the only problem that I see with it, Lee, and I just maybe need some more information, is I don't know what ice you slipped on. Um, so I'm not sure if there's anybody that we can or can't put liability on. I mean, if you slipped on a city street, this is something we would certainly look into. But if this, if, you know, if you were going skating with your kid and fell on a pond, then we're a lot less likely to be able to collect. Because <laughs> that's right. why you're there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so I would say, though, I would say it's absolutely worth a call. Um, and, uh, you know, if we can pinpoint uh, exactly where you fell, and hopefully, as Savannah mentioned, maybe you took some pictures of the lost location. Uh, we'll have a lot uh, easier of a chance proving a liability when it comes down the road. And that's a uh, number, Lee, by the way, if you're listening, 416-216-5910. Get to John from Oakville. We'll squeeze in another email here. It says, someone told me that my friend who has been helping me with yard work uh, after my accident last year can get compensated for that work. But my lawyer says that's only family members can make claims for helping an injured person, which is right. Well, the, the, the correct answer is that uh, the neighbor can definitely get compensated. And the way that we deal with those kinds of claims is we put them under the heading of out-of-pocket expenses. Okay. And that happens quite often. And again, a lot of lawyers miss that. Uh, they'll have a family member or they'll have a friend, colleague, whoever it is, helping them, helping them uh, go shopping, helping them with cleaning, with, with you know mowing the lawn, uh, shoveling snow, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so, so what I would do is this. I would tell my client to make sure that he keeps track or she keeps track of all that help, uh, the, you know, the, the times, the days, what was done, who that person is, and, and then just produce an IOU, you know. I owe this person X amount, you know, based on, let's say, 15 bucks an hour, whatever the arrangement is. And, and as long as we have those logs, as long as we can corroborate that, uh, then there is no reason why that can't be part of the compensation package at the end of the day. So very, very important to, again, keep those records and make sure that you uh, account for those and that, you, you know, if you have a lawyer, that your lawyer talk to you about that kind of stuff. Because otherwise, if you're dealing with an injury that's going to affect you for a very long time and you're going to need that kind of help from people around you, how are you, how are you going to deal with that? I mean, are they going to really help you forever without any compensation? You know, your neighbor? I mean, at some point, they may move away and you'll need to hire someone. So again, very, very important to make sure that you get all, all, all uh, um, measure of compensation that you're entitled to, including the out-of-pocket expenses. I know you just, you just threw $15 an hour out there as a, as a number, but should you from the outset determine that with somebody, here's, we're, we're going to call it this. Yes. 100 bucks a day. 20 bucks an hour, sure. 15 bucks a week. Should you do that before you even start again? goes back to keeping records. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, there are certain amounts that are reasonable and certain amounts that are not reasonable. It's, it's, it's completely unreasonable to say that, you know, if you clean my house, I'm going to pay you $1,000 for that day. I'm switching careers. <laughs> <laughs> you and me, John. Uh, you know, that, that would be unreasonable. But, I mean, you know, there's a range, obviously, and there are market prices. Uh, one of the things you may want to do is you, you may want to simply call a few companies who provide the service that your friend or your colleague or your neighbor is providing and just get an idea and then base it on that. And I've never had a situation where the person that was helping my client said no to this. Obviously, they're going to have an interest here. They're going to be uh, interested in receiving that money down the road. For sure. And that's going to help my client too because, again, my client has that need. I mean, how are they going to be able to do those certain things that they need help with? Well, now they will be able to because you have someone uh, on your side who can help you who knows that they're going to get compensated as well. Got about a minute left, man. Take it home. Your final thought for the day. Well, the final thought is this, that like I said at the beginning, it doesn't cost anything to talk. Uh, we, have, we have a good team in place here. All, all the people who work in my office, uh, you know, we deal with these kinds of issues on a daily basis. Everyone is trained uh, on the law, on the procedure. 
it, it makes absolutely no sense for someone to feel that they're in that situation and while, while they're victimized by that situation, victimize themselves again by trying to deal with the insurance companies directly, which oftentimes leads to disaster. <laughs> so, you know, very, very important. Pick up the phone, give us a call, email us. You're going to get a response. You're going to speak with someone who knows what they're doing and you're not going to be sorry because at the end of the day, at the time you finish the conversation, you're going to know what all your options are. And then you and your family can sit down and decide what you want to do. Nicely done, guys. Matt, thanks for stopping by. He works with Savannah at the firm. You want to give them a call anytime. Any concerns outside of show hours, simple, 416-216-5910. The insurance, or rather the email, is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you have any questions outside online, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com or myaccidentquestions.com as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.